79. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show us mercy to our ancestors, to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. child will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. This is the word of the Lord. particularly in this Advent season when we get to punctuate the notion of waiting. I am Denise Kingdom Greer, mobilization pastor here at Mars Hill, neophyte on the stage, (laughs) and so grateful to be able to be used by God in this way. I've only been here on staff since September, although it seems like forever. That's in a good way, (laughs) Stacy. So I feel like I've kind of been here long enough that I can probably share something with you all. You might find it hard to believe, but I am... I don't like waiting. I'm probably the only one here for whom that would be true, but I really, I I don't like waiting. And and as a matter of fact, I've been known to leave a shopping cart with merchandise in it at the local department store 
because they didn't have enough cashiers and I had to wait too long. So for any of you who might work in that industry, thank God for you. Forgive me. I'll try to do better next time, but at least now you know whose card it is when you see it. Now let me just say that if there's any meat or perishables in there, I try to be, at least try to put them all in one cooler <laughs> somewhere so they don't go bad. You're like, sit down, we're done with you. I, but the thing is, this is because I don't like, I don't like, I don't like waiting. Um, I, don't, I don't like waiting on the phone for, with a certain cellular phone company, right? That I, I don't want to go into the store, that's why I'm on the phone, but if I'm on the phone the same length of time that I can literally get in my car and drive to the store and conduct my business, I feel a certain kind of way, y'all, about waiting. Again, I know I'm, I'm all alone in this, and I, I wonder, I wonder if it has something to do with the fact that, like, I feel like I've never really, I was never really taught how to wait. I, I remember, I remember when my, when my son was born, my daughter and my son, there they are. So when my, well, I have a lot of kids, but when my babies were born, you know, Giselle had been the only child for like two and a half years. And um, so now here I have this little, this little bundle of, of love and, and I have to give him all my attention. And she's like, mommy, I want to do this and mommy, I want to do that. And I can't do it. Whereas once anything she wanted, I was right there, right, right on it, ready to do it. And I, and I realized that I couldn't. And one day I was sitting in the room with this little new bundle of love and I was just weeping because I was just saying to the Lord, oh my gosh, I don't want her to think I don't love her. I don't want her to think that, you know, that, that, that she's less now that I have this other baby. And the Lord spoke to me tenderly in the way that only the Lord can and said to me, loving her is letting her know that sometimes she has to wait. So we've been trying to learn that lesson together in the course of these years. But up until that point, I had thought about learning how to wait. But that's really, friends, what happens and what the liturgical calendar affords us. We've been talking about that a little bit for the last couple of weeks. Some people put pictures up about it. I didn't. So maybe you have a picture in your mind. But it's this calendar that we follow, right, that, that, that has to do with the ways in which um, the, the seasons and the times of the church calendar orient our lives. And in the years since I've been in a liturgical tradition, I have begun to learn how to indeed wait because these seasons like Lent and Advent, they're not about winter and spring, but they're about instructing us how it is that we wait whenever we are compelled to wait. Right? And so we light the candles of joy and of hope and we light these candles as a way to signal to us so that in our waiting times we also look for joy and for hope. I don't like to wait. I don't know. Maybe you do. If you do, I can just stand here for a few minutes. But since there's a clock on the wall, I'm just going to move on. <laughs> There's something about waiting in Advent season, though, that, 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 that sandwiches us between this tension. We, 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 we come into Advent and we, and we recognize that there are, there are two things going on at one time. And so we learn how to live within the tension with intention. You see it right there on the stage? We learn how to wait with intention 
with intention. The tension here is that Christ has come and that reigns as lords of as Lord of Lords in our lives and in the world, and we know that and we recognize that, and yet and still we have this longing for the fulfillment of all that the first coming had promised to the earth, to creation, and indeed to all of us. We learn to live in the tension. The man who sang the song that we sang today, I'm not talking about Delwyn in the song that he wrote this week, amen? <laughs> so beautiful reflection of who Zechariah is and such a gift to our community he is. I'm not talking about that person, but, the, but Zechariah, the one whose song was read from scripture today, Zechariah sings to us today about his own experience of waiting in the tension. Zechariah lived, he lived in a time between the worlds of the prophets who promised a savior and the reality of a world for whom waiting had become what seemed like a joke. Zechariah, he, he was no stranger to waiting. He and his wife Elizabeth, now in their old age, had been waiting for the possibility of conceiving a son of their own, but days turned into weeks, and weeks turned into years, and years turned into tens, as the song said. And some of you know what it's like to wait a month, and then another month, and maybe this month, and maybe that, maybe this year, maybe this time, to only determine ultimately and no baby has come. This is where Zechariah and where Elizabeth were in their time. And they had come to the conclusion that the waiting game must be fruitless. And we might as well give up on waiting. I know I've been there. I'm sure you have too. And, and, and what we need to realize is these are just no ordinary people here. Zechariah is a well-respected priest in his community. He has been selected this year. He has waited his whole life for the one opportunity that one Jewish Hebrew man would get in his life and experience as a priest, and that is to go into the place where they believe God dwelled and to light the incense there for the atonement of all of his people. He had been waiting for the opportunity to be chosen to do this while he was also waiting for the promise of the prophets, while he was also waiting for the fruit of the, of the womb to bring forth a son. Zechariah was no stranger to waiting. And on the days prior to this text, Zechariah goes into the temple to do the thing that he had been waiting to do. And when he does, he's surprised by an encounter with God. Did anybody ever wonder why people in the Bible are surprised by encounters with God when it's the same encounter, it seems like, all the time? Like, I know, like, in our time, we're like, angels talking? When is that? But it seems like there were quite a few angels talking in those days, like, oh, I'm going to have a son? Well, yes, hello, like Sarah and Abram, remember them? Remember Hannah? And uh, this is not a new thing, my friend, but apparently when this thing happens in real time, may I never know of it, because I'm done with childbearing, <laughs> I think. Um, but when, 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 when this time comes, it's so, it's so it's, I, I suppose there's something about it that just 
causes people to just shrink back into themselves and with shock and with, with wonder. And so, and so Zechariah, he hears this word from the Lord that says, you are going to, to have a son and it, your time has come, your, your waiting is up. And Zechariah says, huh? What? Me? Could it now possibly be the time Zechariah in his old age who had given up waiting? Is it possible? And the Lord does for Zechariah what the Lord has to do to all of us once in a while and that is zips his lips for nine months. I've, I've lost my voice before and I tell you, I th believe it or not, it was real, real, real tough for me. It, it, but I've came to find out that it's easier to see when we're not talking. It's easier to hear when we're not talking. And I know seeing and hearing makes waiting easier. And so then on this day in the text when Zechariah sings this song, this is the day when his, when his child, his son is born and the father's lips are unzipped. And the old man sings this song, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has looked favorably on his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a mighty savior for us in the house of his servant, David, and that this son shall be the one who shall go before him. A song that has been in composition for nine months, a melody that has been held in tension until with intention, Zachariah sees what his soul and his people have been waiting for, inviting us friends, all of us too, while we wait with intention in this season to do the very same thing, to wait with intention. So here's how we're going to do it. Three ways that we're going we're gonna to do that. The first way is if we're going to wait with intention, we need to be sure about what we're waiting for. Because, you know, it, it, it doesn't help to, to be sitting at a bus stop if you're waiting on a train. Or to be waiting on a steak if you're sitting in a coffee shop. Right? So, 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 so we're waiting and we're waiting, but we don't know what we're waiting for. So we don't know if what we're waiting for has come yet. We don't know if we're waiting in the right place, in the right time, in the right posture. We don't know anything about it. So the first thing we want to do if we're going to wait with intention is we need to know what we are waiting for in this season, Mars Hill and Friends. Zechariah, he, he looks into the eyes of his son and he sings this waiting song and it's a song about what he's been waiting for, about salvation, a song about redemption. This is not a song that is couched in some eschatological notion of the world after this life, sweet by and by sort of notion, but Zechariah invites us into the tension between the promise of the one whose name will be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace, and the one Malachi promised who will come with refiner's fire and fuller soap waiting for God in this tension. Again, not waiting for some sense of, of salvation that's beyond this world, but salvation in the Hebrew sense, which literally means that, that Zechariah and the prophets and all those who were waiting, they were waiting for a widening of the paths that had been constricted. They are waiting for an amplification of the voices and the stories that had been quieted. They were waiting 
for the freedom from bondage, from struggle, and for restoration to proper health. They knew what they were waiting for, but they knew that it was attention. That they wanted God to come and, and, and reward them, but that it also would come with judgment. Kind of reminds me of when I was a little girl. I grew up in New York City. My dad worked in the village. I lived on the Forgotten Borough, Staten Island. And every day my father commuted past the Statue of Liberty into the city to work. Um, and then he would come home late at night. So I would only get to see him if I was up late enough or on weekends when he was off work. But I was a daddy's girl. And so I couldn't wait to see my dad when he came home. But the, there were two times that I really could not wait for my, to see my dad. The one time was when I knew he had something for me. Right? Oh my gosh, my dad said he's going to bring it and he's a man of his word. Whatever it is, it's a radio, it's a piece of candy, it's a, it's a Subway sandwich. I don't care what it is, but my daddy is bringing it and I can't wait. And the other time I couldn't wait for my daddy to get home is when I knew he was coming with judgment. Right? And I, I know some of y'all, you, you don't know anything about that, um, but I'm just going to talk to myself and say, when I knew he was coming with judgment, I couldn't wait for him to get home. I wanted to get it over with. I didn't want to have to keep waiting and waiting. It's Wednesday. I got to wait all the way to Saturday when dad is going to, when I'm going to be able to see him and he can deal with me according to the way that he needs to deal with me, not just for my, not just for a judgment, but also to refine me like a refiner's fire. This is the tension that Zechariah and that his people were living in. This is the tension that we live in. And if we're going to wait with intention, within the tension, we ought to know what we are waiting for. And it's this. We wait for what is promised. We wait for what Zechariah sings about and the Hebrew prophets promise for what has already come in Jesus, what this season promises to fulfill a savior. A widener, an amplifier, and complete healing to those who are waiting with intention, with intention. That's the first thing we're going to do. We need to know what we're waiting for. The second thing is I want to encourage us, friends, that in this time when we wait with intention, do not wait alone. I know all of the wonderful things and thoughts and ways that we live out this individualism, me, my, mine, and myself. Let's not wait alone. And I know that sounds crazy. I thought I had COVID this past week. Thank God I didn't. I had a little bit of little bug, but it wasn't quite that. But I did have it back in April, and I remember the quarantine and the isolation. Right? And I know that some of us who live alone, it is even that much more exacerbated because now, not only do you have to be alone, but you have to be alone, just really, really alone. And, 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 and this is a very, very, it's a very real thing and it's important for us to isolate, right? <laughs> when we have um, such a condition that is so contagious. But I want for us to know that this kind of waiting is not a COVID kind of waiting. This is a waiting like, kind of like a, like, a, like a birth giver, like a, like, a, like, a, like a mother 
preparing to, 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 to bring forth a child. This is that kind of waiting, that, that kind of waiting that, that, that I don't care what kind of calisthenics you do, this, this baby is coming forth. I don't, I don't care how much we might feel like I can't do this when we're in labor. You, 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 you come to realize that you're going to do this though. <laughs> because this is, this is what we're doing right now. right? This is, this is this kind of waiting. And you know, in the hospitals in these times, things have changed. It was a time when you got as many people you wanted in the hospital. And, and I remember during COVID as a doula, my daughter's a doula, she, she's trained to be a midwife. Um, but as, as we realized there were times that people could only have one person in the hospital with them. So I'm saying to you, beloved, in this waiting time that we're in, if you can't have a multitude of people wait with you, find one person who can wait with you with whatever it is that you are waiting on God for. Find one person who can just, find one person who can, who can function almost as a doula, as a, as a birth assistant. So when you feel like you're coming to your end and you say, I can't do it, they can say you're already doing it. Amen. Find somebody who can encourage you along the way in order that you might be able to make it. You know, when I when I was um, giving birth to my daughter, uh, we had a whole tribe of people in the waiting room. And you know, I mean, that's it's a real, like, vulnerable time to have company. <laughs> you know, but, 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 the, but the thing is that CJ and I, we were, we were waiting within the tension of discomfort with intention. And so it was, it was essential that we had Grandma Maggie in the room. Because see, Grandma Maggie's hands are worn from picking cotton and, and, and sharecropping. Grandma Maggie's voice is crackling from late night prayers. Her Bible is wrinkled and tears stained and her knees have been replaced twice from praying for folks like me. It's very essential that in our waiting, that we had somebody to wait with us and that that waiting was done with somebody who had waited far longer than we had. It wasn't just her, but it was also my girlfriend, JJ, a good friend of our family, and she was the auntie in the room. And it was important for her to be there as, as a peer, as an interlocutor, because I knew that she would be the one to take my kids to Van Rolte Hill to go sledding and to have hot chocolate and play ugly sweater. I knew that it would be important for her to be in the room and for me not to wait alone, but to wait with her. And not only that, but I also had my daughter Vanika in the room, senior in high school at the time. Big sister to the one who was coming, hoping and trusting and believing that she would enter into our family in a way that would be honoring and graceful and would be long-lasting as it is. Beloved, please, please do not wait alone. Christ defeated waiting alone on the cross when he sang that familiar song 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me, that was the last moment and second of waiting alone for all humanity. And the finished work of the cross, finished waiting alone. Listen, Zechariah is singing his song. He's not waiting alone. He's waiting with the voice and the promise of the prophets. And if you can't find somebody to wait with you, huddle up with one of the prophets. Huddle up with the kings. Huddle up with one of the gospel writers, but just don't wait alone. He was waiting with his beloved Elizabeth, with his wife and though the one who was closest to him. I hope that you can wait at least with your spouse or with your child or with your parents. And he, 
He was waiting. He, he and Elizabeth were even waiting with Mary, the mother of Jesus, who would come and who would come and sit and wait with them. And as, as an act of reminder, I believe that John fist bumped Jesus in the womb saying, you're not going to have to wait alone. Please don't wait alone. Nelson Mandela, one of my favorite people in all of history. He reflects on his 22 years on Robben Island off of the coast of Cape Town, South Africa, and he, he reflects on what it was like to wait alone in that jail cell. And he says this, he says, he says, the mind begins to turn on itself and one desperately wants something outside of oneself on which to fix one's attention. And he knows about waiting alone. I don't know if there's anybody who knows more about, about waiting and waiting and losing hope and losing patience and yet waiting again and waiting again and needing someone to wait with you more than someone who would be sitting behind prison walls waiting. I remember in, the, in Matthew, I believe it's chapter 11, John, the same John who, the, whose father sings here today, the same John who stands in the wilderness and declares that there is one who is coming whose sandals I'm not even worthy to buckle. He is the one who is coming in the name of the Lord. He is the one who has been promised. But on this, in, on this day, as he sat behind the walls and the bars of a jail cell, he sent word to Jesus through his disciples asking, are you the one? Are you the one that was promised or is there another coming? Because, because in my imagination, I hear John saying, in my imagination, if you were the one, I wouldn't be sitting behind these bars. If you were the one, I wouldn't be facing certain death. If you were the one, there would be a widening and an amplifying. There would be a healing and there would be a restoration. Are you the one? I just believe that when you're in that vulnerable and that tender and that scary place of isolation behind bars, I just believe that there's a need for someone to break the silence. And Jesus breaks John's silence and sends his disciples back to him. And he doesn't tell him a long story or a parable. He simply says, go and tell John what you saw. Go and tell John what you heard, that the blind received their sight. Yes, there is complete healing. That those who couldn't walk, take up their bed and walk and are made whole, that yes, there is restoration. That those whose voices haven't been heard like, like, like Zacchaeus or like the woman in Samaria, that yes, her voice has been amplified. And that I am the way that has made a way as my grandma would say, out of no way. Go and tell them what you have seen. Because behind the walls where there's violence and isolation associated with prison, it can be hard to remember what you thought you knew for sure. Are you the one John wants to know? And if you are an innocent man like John, you expected justice, you expected truth to prevail, you expected the unjust system to be flipped on his head. And if you're one of the ones who happens to be serving the time for the crime that you yourself committed, then the tension is even greater for them, for us. Do they get what they deserve? 
But then do any of us get what we deserve? And don't they, those waiting, hoping, perhaps alone, do they have a right to a hopeful future? So, beloved Mars Hill, your pastor of mobilization is inviting you into a mobilization experience. And that is simply to go and tell what you heard, to go and tell what you saw. But this time, we want to do it by way of cards. We want to partner with 70 Times 7, one of our local ministry partners, and their ministry to prisoners, which is Cards for Prisoners, which is led by Paula, who is right over here with us with, our, with her beautiful family. And we want to be invited into this experience in order that we might know how God will invite us to go and tell to those who might wait alone. Watch this video. Hello everyone, my name is Paula Cresswell and I'm with 70 Times 7 Life Recovery. I am the manager of Cards for Prisoners. Today I would like to share with you about how Cards for Prisoners began. First, let me tell you that I come from a family of law enforcement. I grew up thinking that if someone went to prison, that's right where they belong. Being part of a prison ministry was not a position I ever thought I would be in, but God. In early November of 2016, I saw Walter, a friend of mine, having coffee at the YMCA that I was working at. His grandson, Michael, had worked with me, and we'd have coffee on occasion. I heard that Michael had been arrested, convicted, and sentenced to life without parole. I paused to ask Walter, how is Michael doing? And he said, not bad under the circumstances. I followed that up with, I wanna go see him. I had no clue where those words came from. I knew I couldn't have said what I thought I did. I was hoping Walter would forget, but the next week I received a visitor's application in the mail from Michael. He said he was looking forward to my visit. A short time later, I was approved, and on February 1st, 2017, found myself driving my friend Walter to see his grandson at Brooks Correctional Facility. I drove to the prison the following Monday to visit Michael again. Then I started sending him notes of encouragement in the mail, a Bible verse, a motivational quote. After a few months of doing this, he called me one day and said, I have every card you've ever sent me spread out on my bunk, and all I feel is love. Every inmate needs to feel what I feel. We need to start Cards for Prisoners. You see, one card, one letter, can make all the difference in one life. Hebrews 13.3 says, remember those in prison as if you were there yourself. Remember also those being mistreated as if you felt their pain in your own bodies. One card, once a month, for two years. That's what we're being invited into, Jesus people. 120 inmates are waiting for us so that they don't have to wait alone. 
so quickly. This is all we're asking. First, meet us, me and Paula, out at the Welcome Center today or next Sunday. Two, you'll get to read and sign an agreement so you can understand all of the variables that are very important to know and understand. Number three, get matched with one of the 120 inmates for a pen pal. Number four, receive your starter kit, which already has the cards in it, hello, and you also get a gift. I am not above bribing people. So we have these wonderful Christmas tree ornaments for the sake of the world. Mars Hill, you get one of these when you sign up. And then send a card once a month for two years. But don't do this, friends, out of pity or out of any sense of obligation. But let us do this because we know what we're waiting for. And we know we don't want anyone to wait alone. And the least we can do is to go tell what we've heard and what we've seen to those who still wait and wonder that, yes, in fact, Jesus is indeed the one. To the glory of God. Amen. Amen.